Hi, I'm Maeve Doyle with the Art and Mayfair podcast series. Uh, you'll hear cars, beeping horns, all sorts of traffic noises, which I think makes it quite interesting with the visitor series, the work of David Breuer Weil. And I'm with David here. Hi, how are you? Very well, thanks. How are you? Oh, well, I'm honored to be sitting in Berkeley Square with you and visitor number one. And just a little bit to my right, uh, visitor number five. They went up in the last 10 days, I'd say. That's right, yes. And uh, to so many people, they felt like aliens had been dropped from another planet into Berkeley Square. Well, that's kind of the idea. Um, I had this idea of, well, it it works on different levels. So so starting actually with Visitor 5, the the feet, these giant feet. Which went up first. That went up first. first, Right outside the auction house. Amazing. Exactly. Yeah. And I've often thought that aliens are probably quite similar to us. They might just be a different size or something. And the idea that one just landed to Earth and was just there with the feet, the rest of the body embedded in the Earth, it's kind of a, an amusing and fun idea. Um, it kind of works on that level, the level of, if you like, humour, that piece. But it also has a very, um, an, another side to it. I wouldn't say tragic, but it's sort of tragicomic, the piece. Um, so. so the word alien has so many different meanings. And I, I, um, I think when I was looking at the piece for the first time and looking at your work, I, I thought of things like David Bowie and the man who fell to earth and and the refugee crisis and how these things can be a metaphor for so many subjects that are happening around us or just ideas that are part of the human condition, how we accept others. Well, absolutely. So the other aspect of, of the feat of visitor um, and the idea of an alien crash landed to Earth, the other aspect is my grandfather was actually a refugee from uh, Nazi Vienna. Uh, that's why I have a sort of Germanic name. And he arrived in England, and when he got here as a refugee, uh, by the skin of his teeth, as it were, uh, he was dubbed an enemy alien. That was something, and he was actually interred for that reason, even though he was an enemy, in fact, an enemy or considered an enemy of the regime in, in Austria. So there's this double meaning. On the one hand, an extraterrestrial alien, which is kind of fun and science fiction in a way. Um, And on the other hand, a very real uh, historical thing, the idea of the refugee arriving in a new place. And in many of my works, I like that sort of double, uh, so people can interpret it on different levels. I think that's important. Partly coming, I, I studied a lot of Shakespeare when I was younger, and I love, it's a very English thing in a way, that you have works that have both tragedy and comedy together. There's something very, I find very moving and profound about combining those aspects in one work. Well, let, let's go back to, to the beginning. Where, where were you born? I was born in Hampstead in London, and I studied at uh, Central St. Martin's School of Art. My main teacher there for sculpture was, he was, he was called Shelley Fawcett, and he was one of Henry Moore's main assistants for many years. So there was that connection with the, this great tradition of British sculpture. And, and the other aspect, let's say, in the feet, it's two very sort of strong physical components it has. They're quite large. And the thing about Henry Moore and that whole tradition is it connects really to ancient British art, the ultimate piece being, of course, Stonehenge, the idea that sculpture should really have this powerful primeval presence, and that's what I always look for. 
So I, I could let you off the hook here, but I'm not going yeah. to. This idea of mysticism and um, an imagination that considers other universes existing at the same time we do, this is something you're, you're working with. These are ideas you're working with. Well, very, very much so. I mean, I often, I, I've often said we're all sitting here on this little rock in the middle of nowhere, and most of the time we don't really think about the universe out there, which is absolutely vast and colossal, and who even knows how many of them there are. So we're all, we're, the whole world is a very small thing, really, relatively speaking, and artistically that's immensely inspiring, because what it means is there's kind of infinite possibilities, and it's... I do that in, in paintings, drawings and sculpture. I work in all those media. Uh, painting and drawing are quite different to sculpture in many ways, but I do like to explore the idea of other worlds in, in different media. And from a sort of philosophical perspective, when I was about 15, I invented an imaginary universe called Nerak. Call it Nerak. And that's got a whole load of characters in it. Wait a minute, I have something on that. Are you the king of Nerak? Well, actually, I've been called that, but I'm not actually the king. That's I, I crowned a king of Nerak. Who Narek. is the king of Nerak? Well, at the moment, he's called Kaiser Charlon, and he is the one who commissions me to do all these uh, strange works. And actually, every work of art I do has the insignia of the king of Nerak on it. So that's the that's the uh, the imaginary universe at play. Is there a postcode in the imaginary universe? Uh, where is it? Uh, no, I don't know where it is, but it has different laws of physics and different laws of space and time, uh, which is something I like to play with also in my work. I have to, this isn't on my list of questions, but since you've been studying and in, 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 in the art world for a relatively long time, a time that was pre-computers, pre-Instagram, when things were hand-drawn, uh, when people met somewhere because they said they would not because they've texted each other how do you think society's moved forward or backward or do you have any views are we more conservative about fantasizing and well it, it could work both ways i think uh it, i know there's been a crash in nfts recently but that technology can be quite interesting for artists so for example um i've used the medium of nfts just to conceive of new sculptures that don't exist yet. And so it can be quite useful to use that new technology. Things like augmented reality, where you put a sculpture out there in 3D, but it's not there, you can just see it on your iPhone. I'm actually quite um, inspired by new developments in technology because they can really help in terms of sculpture and painting. But on the other hand, in answer to your question, I think the imagination, the depth of the imagination, or having meaning in your work, that, that pre-exists all the technology. And I think, for example, what's happening in the world today and recently, for example, the experience of COVID um, and what's going on in the Ukraine with an invasion, um, I think artists have a kind of duty to reflect that in their work. And those are you know, things like plague and war are pretty timeless. They go back a long way. And I've actually recently made some works precisely on those subjects. Do you start working with maquettes in a wax? I just diverted for a minute because sure. I think these works are quite heavy. Yeah. I think Visitor 1 and Visitor 5 are quite heavy. Yeah. But you're doing heavier stuff. Yeah, I like I mean they're all playful in a sense to invite people in, but they I do like to deal with uh, meaning 
um, I think it was Viktor Frankl who said that the, may, the most important thing for a person in their life is to be in search of some kind of meaning. And I think after postmodernism in art, all that artists can really do, I think the future is in searching for meaning. Apparently we can, we can endure any how as long as we have a why. That's what Frankl said. And so yes, that, so for example, during COVID, uh, I made a work based on the Bayeux tapestry and actually the same size, telling the story of COVID from its beginning all the way through, through the lockdowns, uh, through the health services, through all the events that took place in America at the same time, such as the tragic death of George Floyd. And I put all of those things into that kind of, it's a massive drawing, as I, it's, about, it's the same size as the Bayeux Tapestry, and it really tells the story of our times in a kind of freeze-like way. And then more recently, this was a very, very cheeky thing to do, I made a painting, I'll show you the photo afterwards, based on Guernica. So the sense that in the 30s, Guernica was bombed by the Nazis, and now you have what's happening in Ukraine. And so I did this painting that's the identical size of Guernica, but showing the Russian forces a bit like dinosaurs thumping into Ukraine. And it's filled with hundreds and hundreds of symbols of what's going on, uh, even the threat of you know, there's been some threat of nuclear things happening. Um, and the whole painting, this massive painting, is looked over by two mothers. So it's the mothers from both sides who are the real victims there, because, you know, the, sol the, Ru the Russian soldiers who die, that's a tragedy for every mother. And of course, all the victims in Ukraine, that's another tragedy. So these are really subjects, I think, that people can engage with. And it feels almost like a duty of an artist to kind of do something about the times we live in. I think art needs to be of its time. Do you believe in the afterlife? Well, I, I do in the sense that, and in fact, I did a lot of works based on that, actually called afterlife, funnily enough. And those were images of people passing through planets, a bit like aliens, and then arriving in another planet, and then they bounce off and arrive in another planet. So I think there is an afterlife exactly what form that takes i don't know it may just be physical that our atoms disintegrate and become other things so at least at that level yes but in my in my heart of hearts i do think there is that that different reality yes it's a it's a great island of thought and i, I guess yeah. I, I mean to explore it through the medium of sculpture yeah must be comforting with someone with your kind of inquisitive mind Yes, I mean, I think the, the ability to, to do art, it's, I think, the most important thing. It daily gives you a way to think about life. Sometimes it succeeds, sometimes it doesn't, um, but it's a constant commentary, if you like, on what we think about or what we experience. Um, I think you that, just preempted my next question, uh, right. which, what is art for? Uh, yeah, yes, pretty much, yeah. The hard questions. Well, I, I, Picasso said a wonderful thing. He said, art is not there to decorate apartments. It's an instrument of war. It's a very powerful statement. But I think, obviously, there's all kinds of different works of art, and they all have their place and meaning. But for me, I think it is about how to think about life, in, in, actually in a philosophical way. So the, the, it's yeah. the philosophy that's essential to your practice more yes. than the medium or whether it's a drawing or sculpture or... Well, funnily enough, it's both because I think each medium has its own qualities. So, for example, I draw a lot in pencil. It's probably what I do most. And that really gives you a way of sort of delving into your innermost thoughts and 
psyche. It's a kind of meditation almost. Uh, making sculpture in clay, the, most of the originals are made in clay or plaster, is a very, very physical way of engaging with the earth and where we come from. And that's really what sculpture is all about, is our connection with the ground and, and the earth. And then painting, again, is a different medium, very, very different, which really allows you to create fantasies um, and explore uncharted territory and worlds. Your ideas are complex and challenging and they can take you in a lot of different directions, but the end result of the work are these simple, powerful images that get seared into your imagination, unforgettable images. That's a paradox too. Well, coming that actually connects with the last question about medium. So I think sculpture, especially monumental sculpture, has to be really simple and readable at a, at a glance. And the minute it's too complicated, you kind of lose it. So the forms have to be simple. The ideas have to be very strong. Uh, with painting, you can be a lot more complex because it's a very different sort of interior medium where you can spend an awful lot of time kind of interpreting different layers of meaning. Um, not that the sculpture, don't, they have that too, but they have to be incredibly condensed and simple, but still complex. Um, and that's quite a challenge to do that, actually, to find the, uh, that motif in sculpture. And you can have many wrong foots, excuse the pun, but many wrong attempts. So I make loads and loads of maquettes and only a few of them make it through. And is that a lost wax process? Yes, I make a lot of small waxes. Um, Which is traditional sculpture. People are working with computers now and not... That's right, yeah which I work with as well yeah. in, in a different way. But um, are, are these two pieces lost wax? Uh, they are original. Yes, they, they, they would. The bronzers will be what lost wax. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's the casting process. But funny enough, you can use both computers and lost wax because when you scale up from a maquette, you may 3D scan it into the computer, then you scale it up. And then in the casting process, lost, lost wax is used as well. So you can combine the very new and very old media in one piece. And, and actually that tends to happen with sculpture today. It's again, I see even in this conversation with you, a very rational side that knows the nuances of the sculpture process and then a, a wild side that probably keeps a dream journal by your bed. Yeah, well, I have the key to all Is that your dream journal? Yeah, I, I <laughs> carry these little booklets with me. I've got hundreds of them. Uh, actually, they taught us this at St. Martin's, keep a sketchbook. And it's so true because, and actually it's true of everybody, not just an artist. You know, you, you will forget important ideas if you don't keep some kind of little notebook. And in, in this little book alone, I've got hundreds of motifs, some of which will, some of which won't make it to the next step, which will be a drawing and then a small sculpture or a small painting. So if you're listening now, I'm looking through this small turquoise notebook of thoughts, thoughts with lines, uh, thoughts on what you're working out, complicated ideas in the thoughts on lines. And this is some notes alongside of it. Incredible. Incredible how things manifest. Yes. So if we can manifest sculpture, I, I guess if I go a little bit deeper with you, we could manifest living peacefully together and tolerantly and kindly. Well, one would hope so, but I think the human condition is too complex. And actually, if you read Sigmund Freud, I did, uh, well, actually a lot of my work is quite Freudian in that sense. Um, but 
he says that conflict is actually the natural state of mankind, which is an interesting statement. We assume that peace is the natural state, and maybe it isn't. So we have to really work towards it. It's not going to happen on its own. Last question. Yeah. If you could have or live with one piece of art, money isn't the object, what would it be? Funny enough, what's coming into my mind is Van Gogh's bedroom. I don't know why. That's what spontaneously yeah, came into my mind. Yeah, I like that you mind. trusted it, though. Yeah. So the, the bedroom of Van Gogh, his interior in, um, in, in Arles, you know, the very brightly coloured bedroom. There's something very human and simple about that. And it, for visitors coming to Berkeley Square to see Visitor 1 and Visitor 5, the Visitor series, yes. what would you say to them? Well, I think it's about giving them the uh, respect, the, the viewer the respect, that they're doing most of the work. I've only given them the tip of the figure. So you've got the top of the head with Visitor 1 and you've got the, the feet with uh, Visitor 5 and the rest of the figure is buried, is underground, and, but actually in the viewer's imagination. So it's a kind of collaborative process with the viewer. They're doing actually most of the work, which is what I like. What I loved is while I was talking to you, I'd watch people go by Visitor 5 and Visitor 1, taking pictures, engaging with it. So congratulations. Thank and, you very much. And I think that's really what um, Art in Mayfair is about. And the Sculpture Trail is, is bringing people's attention to art and brands and the area, what it offers. Well, it's an amazing thing that they've done in, with Art in Mayfair in really bringing, uh, you know, a very uh, well-known city, a very I mean, famous ancient city to life again is, is a great achievement to do it in this way and they're to be congratulated for that, I think. That's a theme yeah. I noticed. Yeah. You like history repeating itself. Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> What's your next piece? Well, I've just finished this one called Invasion, um, literally just now, um, and that kind of drained me. So I'm a bit empty at the moment, so we'll see. Hopefully in a week or two, I'll be back back on track. You don't seem empty, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you.